Hello, welcome to this episode of FireDev, a fireside chat with developers. Today, I have Michael Ingram on the podcast, and he is the director at MePixel or MIPixel. Well, I, I let him, you know, pronounce that for himself. So, yeah, Michael, if you want to do an introduction, probably be better than the one I've done. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Ingram, and no, your introduction was fine. Um, yeah, I'm director at MyPixel or MIPixel. Either one's fine, really. Uh, the MI stands for Michael Ingram, which is my name. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. Well, when I saw you know MyPixel, I honestly didn't connect the you know the dots. I just thought it's a cool name, but I didn't you know think oh you know Michael Ingram <laughs> Pixel because usually when people put their name in a company name, for example. They, it's usually a bit more obvious, like yeah. Michael Ingram Consultancy or Michael Ingram Limited. So that was a bit more, you know, subtle. I, was, I, I didn't quite catch on to it. So MyPixel, what does it do? So MyPixel is there to, well, it's there to primarily to build uh, video games. You know, um, so I am uh, released a game called Defend from Candyland. I'm working on some others that uh, I'm not saying much about at the moment. Um but as well as that, obviously, I'm offering services for do, uh, doing programming for other people and companies. Um, so I use my own skills that I've got. I've done augmented reality, software development, virtual reality, uh, games and non-games, etc. in the past. Um, I've got a small portfolio up on the website so that people can have a look. But yeah, primarily it's games because that's more fun. <laughs> It is indeed. I mean, the difference between doing just raw computer science where you're, you know, running an app or like a mobile application compared to a game when you actually see a character running around, or even if it's something physical drawing, like that feeling is so much better than having a couple of buttons or some log statements compared yeah. to software development. So yeah, definitely it's a lot more fun. But it's it's a bit harder as well. Uh, it depends on what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that as well. Okay, so let's talk about Defend from Candyland. So, you know, I've had a look, you know, myself, but if you want to describe it to the listeners, what is that game and where can you access it? Sure thing. Uh, so it is a tower defense game uh, done in the style of an old Flash game that I used to play a lot called Desktop Tower Defense. Um, so you plant trees, which are your towers, and you fight off against all the evil sour candy that's coming out to destroy you, basically. <laughs> um, so the way in which it works is, like I say, you, you plant all the towers, uh, they're built instantly, uh, and you can upgrade them as well. But the enemies, they their uh, walking path uh, will change when you put the towers down. So they'll find the shortest path from their entry point, which is a little spawning jelly cube, uh, to the destination tree that they're trying to destroy, uh, which there can be multiples on one level. Uh, they will find the shortest path, so your uh, aim is to place down enough towers to destroy them, but also put them down in a strategic way to slow them down by making them move uh, the longest distance as well, basically. Okay, and I see that it's a you know a pixel art style game. Like, where did that inspiration come from, or is that something you've always you know been into? Um, so th- 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 there's a few answers on that one. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm doing everything myself. I'm doing the artwork. I'm doing the development work. I'm doing the design work and everything. I was originally doing the music as well, but luckily I got some help because my music was bad. Um, <laughs> but um, so uh, you, 
if you look at the credits on the game, the only names you'll see on there are Michael Ingram, which is me, uh, Kirsty Armstrong, which is my other half. Uh, she helps me with some of the designs and some ideas. And then Armin, and I don't know how to pronounce the surname, unfortunately, uh, but he did. Uh, he basically saw my game, liked the game, didn't like the music, and offered to do the music for me, uh, <laughs> which is what he's done because he uh, runs his own little music production company. Um, so when it comes to the pixel art, I've never been able to do art before. And I used to, when I did uh, development work and games before, I used to buy in the art. And people kept telling me that the biggest problem with the games I was making before was the artwork. And I was like, well, let's see what I can do. And, and I found this course on Udemy, um, which was a pixel art masterclass. Uh, I completed the course and, and uh, <clears throat> I started doing artwork, basically. But as well as it being the only art I can actually do. <laughs> um, I mean, I can't even draw stick men. But as well as this being the only art I can actually do, I... I grew up in the 90s. I loved playing the Mega Drive and Super Nintendo and Master System and all those consoles. I still have them and love playing them. And I really like the artwork, to be honest. I, I quite like the old pixel art. It's quite, I, I think it's quite interesting. So, yeah, a few reasons for it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, I agree. I love pixel art as well. So when I see games, either on the App Store or on console or PC, and they've got some really nice pixel art going... You know, it just, you know, it brings those nostalgic memories back. So, so it's a bit more timeless because if you have, let's say, an early 3D game, I mean, uh, actually, let me, you know, step back a bit. Well, with the, you know, the current capability of hardware, you know, you can go well beyond, you know, graphics that looks like pixel art. So, therefore, it's, it's, it's an old sort of design that's in, in many ways from a technical limitation not required anymore. The, whereas if you're doing a 3D game, for example, you could get a 3D game from 10 years ago or one from today, and you know there's a big difference between them, and you can see that difference. Whereas if you do a pixel art game, a pixelated game, even though you know it's an old style, like a 20, 30-year-old, maybe even a 40-year-old style of making games, because it's no longer you know, the main way of you know, you're having to make games, it looks retro, it looks classic. So yeah, the, that's the thing, you know, I really do, you know, like about you know pixel art, and I've tried to create a bit myself, and I'm I'm better at that than you know regular artwork. Even then, pixel art is pretty difficult, especially when you're putting a lot of care, attention, and making it look not generic, and making it look like everything just you know connects nicely together. So yeah. you said that you had like what was the guy's name again that you said who did the music for? Uh, Armin. Armin. Okay. That so you had him, he did the music for it. How did that, I mean, you told me how that came about. Was your game already available? Was there a, a trailer that he saw? Because I see this early access game right now on Steam. So how did he come across it and he decided to, you know, reach out to you? Uh, so there was actually a trailer, um, and uh, that trailer is no longer on Steam because of the bad music. <laughs> but there was a, an original trailer that I made that was um, being shared around Twitter and that kind of thing. And he actually found me through that and messaged me directly on Twitter offering to do the music for me. Because uh, uh, he was saying that he really liked the look of the game. He thought it was really interesting. But uh, obviously the music was the biggest problem um, because, like I say, I can't do music. I can play a piano, but I can't do music 
like on the computer and all that. I just not very good at it. Um, and so uh, he actually offered to do it for me, like I say. And um, yeah, I I was really happy with the music that uh, he came up with. Um, I was really happy with it. I'm, and uh, I still talk to him now. He's a lovely guy. So yeah. Okay. And what sort of you know deal did you have with? Him was it you know he has X amount of money or was it X percentage or is he a blend of both? Uh no, it was neither to be honest. He actually kind of did it as a favor because of uh he just because uh, I mean when it came to it I was this was my first game my first Steam release and so I didn't really have money to pay for services uh and all that at the beginning because uh, I'm going from uh, unfortunately trying to get into this out of being ill for the past few years. Uh, so it's one of those things of, I have the limitations that I've got. And uh, he, yeah, he, he, um, he, I basically put his name down on the game, um, which he didn't even ask me to do that. Uh, he just asked for his name, uh, his company website to be on the bottom of the Steam page, which I've, I've obviously I've done. Uh, and um, yeah, that that's all it was that he asked for. Okay, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I was actually... very lucky there. Yeah, especially in this day and age, to, to get someone you know, that nice and that helpful. And yeah. what else had he, you know, worked on or done, you know, prior to doing this? Um, I honestly couldn't say without looking on his website. Uh, okay, I cannot remember. But <laughs> um, I, 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 like I say, I can have a look on his web website too, because I've obviously got a computer in front of me. But um, I should be able to find it. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, I honestly couldn't remember my memory's not that great okay right. fair enough and <laughs> how long has defend from Candyland been out for and if he doesn't mind answering how well has it done in terms of downloads yep so defend from Candyland has been out since uh january 10th um of last uh, no this year sorry uh nearly the wrong year there uh, so january 10th of this year um downloads wise it's not done that great to be honest with you um it's had um a fair few but most of them been during sales um so it's not made that much money uh, in all honesty okay and the site is that sales that you've been doing or is that just general steam sales like summer sales etc uh it's um, so steam sales i've been putting them forward um i've got a few more lined up um but my problem is that I'm not very good at marketing. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. I, I keep getting uh, people that play the game keep telling me uh, that they like the game, uh, that they like really have enjoyed it, that, that they found some things difficult. I and mean, the game's only had good reviews, but at, at the same time, I can't get the game out there more. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> yeah, if, if one of the things I know is something that I've struggled with in the past when I've released stuff, is I mean partly knowing how to market, especially when you're coming from you know a low budget. Secondly, you know, wanting to market it as well. Like it, it, I don't know, you sometimes I feel like if I'm if if I made something and I've got to market it, I feel like you know I'm wasting time. I could be you know developing. I could be yeah. doing design. I could be doing other more productive stuff. But you know, it's it's getting that realization that this is productive. If the end goal is to have a successful, you know, product, yeah. then obviously you gotta have the product. So therefore, you gotta make it. So the developing, the design, the planning, all that stuff is obviously important. But yeah. then the successful part, which is if that is part of your goal, it you know does come with marketing. It does come with promotion. So yeah, that is one of those you know 
interesting one. What I will say, I, again, I've had no breakout hit in any form or one or one or another, but I've had a little bit, little bit of success over the years on different stuff that I've done. And the biggest thing I will say, and you probably won't hear this advice much, is controlled spamming. Effectively, <laughs> it's stuff that people that aren't, you know, making games and putting it out there want to see or hear. And but it's what you got to do if you're a bit if you're big, then even then, if a big company is still spamming, but they're doing it on, in a way that their budget makes it look like it's not spamming. Because you know, yeah. if you have seen that advert, you know, all the time on TV on your phone, you know, banners, you know, what is that other than spamming? But yeah. it's a bit more subtle in a way that you don't annoy people. Let's say because I you know I posted on Reddit groups, and that's where I recommend Reddit groups, Facebook groups. Uh, you know blogs and whatnot and just you know just share it as much as possible and just get used to getting banned from some of these groups that's another thing that i will say that's happened to me before so that's what i would say you know create a block a master list of vlog i mean blogs to that you know let's say for your case it's a game so that are game blogs that you know especially that the ones that have a submission form or some sort of submission process and you know submit to them like try and get like 30 40 50 you know plus you know link you know urls just having a spreadsheet so you've got it and the next you know game release or the next update you've just got them there have like a master list of you know subreddits have a master list of facebook groups twitter pages you know get like a you know a sort of message template and that that you can modify and obviously if you tweak each one to be more relevant that's even better but when you're you know posting it to potentially hundreds of different outlets it's it's a, it's very hard to do so but that would be my recommendation is spam it but you know do it in a controlled way but, but you'll get some pushback but that would be my recommendation thank you very much yeah, yeah. I, i've had some uh, some conversations with different people about the best things to do um i saw there was this indie 5k thing I, I was looking at that um i did the three lectures that they gave away for free but those three lectures didn't tell me anything i didn't already know unfortunately um, yeah unfortunately, unfortunately most people don't want to you know say it the way it is like they want to put it like you, a lot of people if you were asked if they answer the same question they would say Oh, you know, you know, just keep making a good product, you know, just keep updating it, you know, just keep, you know, you know, talking, you know, just, you know, promoting it. But then, but they're not talking about what the promoting look like. Yeah. And they may say, oh, you know, use ads, you know, Facebook ads. But uh, honestly, I've tried ads before. And unless you've got a huge budget, it is not worth it. Like pouring a hundred pound every week or every month or so, which again, is not a small amount of money in it. Anyway, but just putting like the odd hundred here or there, that gets eaten up very quickly in the ad space, and it does jack all in terms of you know click through rate because you'll get a lot of impressions. It will definitely give you the impressions, but ultimately you want that follow through where they click through, they download, they watch your video, whatever you know your you know content is. So yeah, yeah definitely you want to basically have have a master list. There are other ways of doing it as well but effectively you you're going to be reaching out to media outlets the other thing is i mean you've probably already done this but you know reaching out to friends and family yeah. and that 
will download the game. You know, obviously, if it's pay, you know, give them some sort of coupon. And so, so they don't have to, you know, buy it themselves. That'll download it, get them to do a five-star review. But obviously, during that process, if you haven't already done it, you'll learn who, you know, really is a close friend or family member and the ones that, you know, on the, are on the surface level. Because I've, I've done it before where I've contacted them and something that should take like a minute to do, they'll... Yeah. I'll contact them like a month later and they still haven't done it. So I'm just asking for a quick favor or they'll say stuff like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll download it. I'll check it out. If it, if it gets a five star, I'll give it a five star. Like, you know, friends that I will call close friends, they'll say that. And if not, I'll, you know, give a low rating. I'm like, that's not, you know, what I need from a friend. I need a, you know, obviously you need someone that will, you know, just click on it, review and be like, done, dusted. You know, I'll let you know when I've released something, you do the same for me. You know, the, that's what you need. So obviously, in that process, you'll come, up, you'll figure out the people that are more receptive, and you'll just obviously hit them up, you know, yeah. in future updates and future games. So that's another thing that I would recommend doing as well. But obviously, outside the podcast, I can say, you know share some links and share some you know more stuff to hopefully try and help you know make defend from Candyland and you know future projects more successful as well. Thank you. Uh, when it comes to my future projects, I've got uh, different things that are planned. Um, like I've got two games that are designed and that I've started work on, uh, but I'm not saying much about them yet because, well, with one of them, it's more it's uh, a secret that's uh, going to be fun when it's out. And the other one, it's more that the design is changing constantly at the moment mm-hmm. because uh, of doing research into what's um in that market and what people want in that market and then designing the game around what the people are actually after. Whereas with Defend from Candyland, it was my first Steam game. It was originally designed as a mobile game because uh, that's what I used to do was mobile games. And um, then it was kind of changed as it went, but it turned it turned into this little project that was, ended up being my first Steam game. first my, uh, The first game that I've made where I've done all of the artwork for it and, and all these little things that kind of made it more of a thing for me rather than rather than a marketable game. It, it is a marketable game. It is a game that's got currently 60 levels. It's going to have 120 levels. It's got a load of lo- hours and hours worth of content in there um, and uh, and all that. And there's more and more being added to it. I, I've I keep on adding things based on player feedback at the moment. I'm currently doing a massive art overhaul on it because there were some people that were saying that the artwork wasn't um, good enough. So I've ended up um, like redrawing absolutely everything. It's taken me ages, but um, <laughs> but I'm going through and like updating it all because it's what the players want. Um, but yeah, so I've I've got some plans uh, uh, set aside. But uh, I know what you mean about the friends one because it's like. I know that my Facebook, for instance, because uh, that's that's what basically everyone has, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> my my Facebook has about four hundred odd people on it, um, and you know I, I've posted the I've been posting about the game all the time. I've I've invited everybody on my Facebook to like the page, and yet the page still only has about like for the, and that's for MI Pixel, and the page only has about fifty three likes, and not all of them are people from my Facebook. In fact, most of them aren't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is one of those things, and uh, I, it was my other half's friends who actually ended up being the beta testers for it, and they gave me great feedback. They've they've done all these different things for me, um, helped me out with it, posted about it, reshared things, and all that. Um, but obviously, they 
aren't allowed to write the reviews because of the fact that they got the game given to them for free. Uh, so Steam doesn't allow them to. Um, so they haven't been able to write any reviews. But I've contacted like my other friends and said, look, it's out. I can give you a free copy of, uh, of the game that, that isn't a beta test copy. So I can give you a free copy of the game. You can write a review or even just tell me about the game if there's anything that needs done and not a single one of them has actually got back to me <laughs> it's only my other house friends that have not mine which is uh, always fun isn't it <laughs> yeah it, it, it's crazy when you reach out and it's just silence yeah <laughs> and you think it, it would take like such a small it would be, be such a small amount of time just you know not asking for a huge essay in the yeah. reviews, just a quick couple of lines, you know, a five out of five, you know, you, 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 you know, it means the world when, you know, you're an indie developer, when you're releasing stuff that doesn't have the clout that let's say EA does where they can just, you know, market the hell out of it. Yeah. But yeah, it is unfortunately one of those things. Your Facebook page does have one extra like now I have liked the page. Well, so thank you, you very do, much. <laughs> you have that going now. Okay. So I just want to, Talk a bit about the process for uploading games to Steam and just the general process of putting it on there. Because I made games for mobile. Uh, I've considered it and talked to, to some friends about doing some stuff for Steam. Never got around to doing it for various reasons. But how was that process? So I found the process to be really simple, to be honest. And as someone that used to do mobile games before... Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say it's you're better off doing uh, things on Steam and PC and that kind of thing instead. Because um, the mobile market... Are you doing Android or iOS? or both? Um, When I do it, I do both. Right, yeah. Because um, I, when I did it, I only did Android because, well, iOS was expensive because you needed to have a Mac, an iPhone, yes. an iPad, and then it was £100 a year, um, unless that's changed. Uh, but it's still it's still the same yeah so it's expensive it's very expensive but um when it comes to android where all you need is 25 dollars for a one-off license it's got like millions upon millions of games being added constantly which means getting you on scene is very very difficult um <laughs> uh, so i i i had um i had a bit of luck when i was doing it because I, I used to run a company called rex gaming days and it was called that because it started off as a YouTube channel uh, that I used to do uh, where I was playing retro games and, and doing stupid voices and that kind of thing while I was doing it as well. Uh, different accents and all the rest of it. Um, silly little things. But it's what I used to do years ago. And um, I released a game called Magical Defense. And uh, it's always magical and defending with me for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I did this game called Magical Defense, and it was a mobile game where you controlled three mages and you shot off against all the zombies that were coming after you. Um, and I, I had a bit of luck that I got seen by a company called Reward Mob, uh, which were a Bitcoin um, tokens company. And they offered to do these tournaments uh, for me, and uh, it got me a load of advertising, even got me a new uh, trailer video made by them, which I didn't, I didn't have to pay for. And all this stuff, it got me a bunch of new players. I ended up uh, on the one game getting about 2,000 odd downloads um, and uh, people playing it every week because they were going into this competition. But then, just like with a lot of uh, different companies that appear from nothing and all that, 
the company disappeared. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of what's happened, uh, but there was a lot of talk about the uh, people basically taking the money that they got for funding and buying houses in America and that kind of a thing. And so they ran off and the whole reward mob thing just got shut down, which meant obviously all the com- uh, games that were using in the uh, company in their tournaments, they kind of ended up getting messed around as well. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've not been very lucky in the past on this, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, so yeah, but that it was when it was working, it was great for the mobile games, having that reward mob thing and all that. It, it was great. But, like I say, then they just ran off with the money, basically. So Okay, so did you see none of them or did, did the developers see none of the money or did you see some of it and then a big chunk of it they had? Uh, developers saw none of the money. Not a single developer saw any of it that I know of. Um, okay. Uh, the tournaments that were running, I think some people got their Bitcoins, which were called Armob tokens. But, of course, when the company went down, they become worth nothing. Of course, yeah, because they're within the ecosystem, and if the ecosystem ceases to exist and you can't, you know, take it out of it, then obviously it's worthless. So, yeah. when you are, you know, uploading games to Steam, like what is the format? Because obviously, with you know, Android and iOS to have a particular file format, you know, has to be zipped in a certain way. There's a lot of you know restrictions. Uh, how is it with Steam? You know, when you can get effectively. A dot exe out of pretty much any ide for your game of you using ffml cocast sdl unreal whatever it is like what gets uploaded what are the restrictions around steam games so i i just do it for unity uh there was okay. a steamworks plugin um that i think they've got it set up for unreal but then there's another one that's set up for unity so i i got the unity version of the plugin loaded it into the game um, just had to, uh, if I remember rightly, it's a while ago since I've set it up. Um, but if I remember rightly, I just had to like put in some details about the game, uh, into the plugin. Um, if I wanted to use more like achievements, I had to do calls to it, uh, which there are achievements in Defend from Candyland. So I've done some calls to the Steamworks plugin, um, things like that. And then it was just a, a standard PC build. Um, and then they have uh this system. Uh, which you download, and you have to basically change a text file to put notes up with it, uh, double-click on their little program, and uh, I'm trying to see where it all goes now. Because uh, I'm trying to get this as accurate as I can for you, but my memory is dreadful. Uh, and, and I did this not that long ago, uploading uh, uh, a update. So it's uh, one, of, one of the lovely things with... Um, having memory like I've got. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically there's a, a file, you just double click it and it pushes it up into the Steam's website um, and uh, it puts it in as a depot, then uh, like as a build depot and you can put it onto the testing branch so that you can download a test version onto your own Steam client because it's always best to double check in Steam um, as well as uh, on Unity because there have been so many times that it's worked absolutely fine in Unity, but as soon as I put it into Steam, there's been an issue. And it's always best to do a testing run first. Um, but yeah, and then it's just switch it over to a build and hit release, basically. So it's very, very easy to work with. Okay. And in terms of review process, is there any review process with Stinks? Obviously, when you submit to Apple, they, you know, it goes through a review process that can 
you know, take a few, you know, a day or two, all the way up to, you know, multiple weeks, depending on how busy they are and what type of app you made. With Google, not really much of a review process. It just takes a more of just like a propagation um, time frame. Like, what's the process on Steam once you've hit go? So with Steam, um, you have to set up a company first, um, which they they do a little review process on that, but. I don't remember it taking that long, just a couple of days or so, uh, in which case they just needed to double check the bank accounts and uh, all of that kind of thing. And then when it comes to submitting your game for the first time, you have to pay the uh, fee, which is $100, um, and it's a one-off fee for that uh, per game. You pay that $100 and you get your space with the name and all, all of that. Uh, and your app ID, um, then I, I believe the review process was just a few days for that. And then when it comes to doing updates on that on the game, it, they happen instantly um, with the updates that they just as soon as you push it out, it's done. Okay, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because obviously you know doing it, especially for iOS, it, it, it is you know a nice to have you know a different type of process. So. Yeah. Is uh, I don't think it is, but you'll probably know more than I will. Is Steam Greenlight still around, and uh, how is it different to you know the Steam you know game submission that you're using? You know, honestly, I, I honestly couldn't say. Um, okay, <laughs> I, I'll be uh, be honest with you. I mean, as, as far as I'm aware, it probably is, but I'm. Mean, like I said, I released Defend from Candyland um, back in January, um, so I would have dealt with all of that back then. I'm I'm not going to remember most of that now, unfortunately. Okay, <laughs> I do, do apologise for the memory. No, thing, no, but, it's, um, it's not a problem. It's the same with me. You know, when you're doing it, you, you, it seems so stressful, or you know, you got you know, there's just so much, and then later on, you just forget, and then you go back to some old project or some more old documentation. You like. You, I did this and I did that. I don't, I, I, you know, all that stuff that you went through just to, you know, get this thing up there. Yeah. I don't know how it is. No, for, for me, un, unfortunately, um, uh, to put it simply, I, I've got a few health issues. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, included in that health issue is I've only basically got half of my left brain and the fall of my right brain because uh, um, it's, damaged <laughs> basically <laughs> uh, to put it to put it simply it's damaged <laughs> so my memory is a bit affected unfortunately okay uh, if you don't mind me asking is that something you was born with or was that something that happened later uh, in life well uh, if uh, i don't mind you asking it it's absolutely fine I'm, I'm open to talk about my issues so um do you know what a cerebral aneurysm is I've heard of them multiple times. I can have a I can hazard a guess, but probably best if you you, you know explain it basically. <laughs> yeah, that that's fine. So I have a cerebral aneurysm, um, and that is basically uh, there's four main uh, blood vessels uh, in the brain, and uh, an aneurysm is when a blood vessel uh, swells up uh, like a balloon. And I, when I was 16, and I'm 33 now, when I was 16, um, I had an epileptic fit, which is when you fall unconscious and do the disco on the floor kind of thing. Um, and uh, I woke up in the hospital. Um, they did an uh, MRI on me because I'd had headaches for years. And uh, then I wasn't allowed to go home for a, about a month. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, 
so the blood vessel uh, in my brain has swollen up and it dug deep into the center of the left brain um and it's one of the largest they've seen and they'd never really seen one um <clears throat> or they don't really see them in children and like so i was 16 at the time when they found it so i, I was in the middle of basildon hospital um and it was quite funny because of my outlook on life i've always just kind of sat there and went eh, whatever happens i'll be fine and i had that attitude with the aneurysm as well so the doctors were explaining to me what the problem was and I was just turning around and going, yeah, I'll be fine. Uh, and they were then getting other people to explain it because they thought that I didn't understand until I turned around to them and I said, no, if it bursts, I'm dead. Um, and uh, you currently don't know what to do. I'll be fine. <laughs> and um, so they, un they they kind of realized I did understand entirely what it was. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, was, I ended up been sent to a uh, national uh, hospital of neurology and neurosurgery in queen square in london uh where i had two platinum coiling surgeries which is where they go into your brain and inject platinum into it to into the aneurysm to basically stop it from filling um and unfortunately that didn't work either and uh, before the first bit of surgery i i only had they guesstimated around a month or so left to live um before the first bit of surgery was done and like i said that the surgery worked and didn't work all at the same time it's um so it slowed down uh, the aneurysm from uh, the, the aneurysm filling but it didn't stop it so they went on to do something else called a balloon test which uh, you have to be awake for and it's blooming horrible to go through because uh, you're awake on the table whilst they're going through your arteries and your legs to get to your brain to blow up a balloon inside it and then sit there and go so how does that feel <laughs> well it feels like i've got a balloon in my head um <laughs> but they ended up doing all of that and um when we came to reviewing the uh scans and this is one of the things i always find funny when it came to reviewing scans uh, uh, so i went back to see if i was going to have this balloon put in and left they're suddenly gone, uh, we're not going to do it. I was like, well, why? Uh, was it not a success? And they're like, well, the balloon was a success. Like, what's a success? You can have it, but you've gained a deep vein thrombosis. And I turned around and went, you mean a blood clot? They're like, yeah. I've gone, so I've got a blood clot in my brain. They're going, yeah. I've gone, doesn't that kill you? And they're going, well, it's grown in the exact place to cancel out the aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's blocked it and saved you from that i was like oh <laughs> fair enough that's pretty crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh, definitely a weird one and I, I now still get mris every two years the bl uh, blood clots disappeared but the aneurysm whilst the blood clot was there the aneurysm emptied so the, the blood emptied out of it and it deflated so it's like a deflated balloon in my head now instead so um, yeah but unfortunately, with that comes memory issues and a few other problems, <laughs> basically. I mean, that's that's pretty tense. That's pretty insane. Yeah. <sighs> it's my life. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of those things where life's amazing, but it also can be crazy and, you know, terrifying as well at the same time. Yeah, it certainly can be. Yeah. Uh, all, all I know is if it, uh, is you know the aneurysm is deflated, so its likelihood of bursting is very very low. So okay. I'll just go with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they're, they're at least that good news. 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah. there's some good news. Yeah, <laughs> but that's why my that's why you're asking me questions and I, I don't remember the answers. <laughs> I do apologize. That's not a problem. We can move on. So, <laughs> how long have you been a developer for? Um, I don't know. Um, let's see. I finished university in 2015. Uh, that was when I did. Uh, so I did a games development course 2012 to 15. Before that, I was doing something else called Train to uh, Train to Game, and I did do a Flash Action Script course as well. Um, before that, so yeah, it'd be around around that sort of time, I suppose. Professionally, uh, I mean, I was hired as a software engineer in uh, 2015 when I left university, so that'd be when it started as in business. It'd be from then. I guess. Okay, that's pretty cool. And what made you become a developer? Uh, well, I've not got the body to do sports or anything like that. Um, I couldn't do an OnlyFans page either. Uh, <laughs> no, you um, never know. You never know. <laughs> no, uh, in all honesty, I, I I loved video games growing up. I, I had the Meg Drive and the Sega channel, which downloaded like 50 games to the console every month. And I grew up playing those games constantly um and i i just always loved video games they they were my little escape when i was younger uh, and when i was older as well to be honest so i kind of wanted to build video games to help like help other people like bring other people joy uh, like they brought me so yeah and also i wanted to make some games that i haven't seen yet you know some some little aspects that i haven't seen done it's, it's like uh, i know that um fans of uh, the supernatural tv series have been saying for a, a while you know why isn't there a supernatural game and whilst i wouldn't be able to make one because of not having the rights and all that from warner brothers i could still make something that's similar enough like a demon hunting game which you know they might enjoy it's that kind of thing fair enough and what do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Dang, I was going to say marketing, and then you said that I know now, so I don't know marketing still. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least you know now that you need to do it. Maybe that would be one of the things to <laughs> know that you need to do it so you can learn how to do it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I, you know, honestly, I'm I'm not sure. Um, when it comes to that, because I, mean, I it's like we defend from Candyland. I know that I did that wrong. Not that the game doesn't work or things like that. The game works. Um, you know, it's got a half decent art in it. It's getting better art in it. Um, and you know, people are genuinely enjoying the games. But I know that I did it wrong in the fact that I didn't do my market research and that kind of thing before uh, building and releasing the game. But I think releasing the game and still working on it as I, as I am without having that knowledge at first has kind of shown me just how important it is to have that knowledge and to do it the other kind of way next time. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things. I think if I, if I, if I knew that stuff beforehand and so didn't try it, I wouldn't know how important it was. So I'm, I'm quite happy how i am i guess <laughs> okay so do you regret becoming a developer no christ no no okay, 
on my short answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, I, I find the coding work fun. Uh, I've been learning the pixel art as well. And whilst I get more frustrated with doing the artwork compared to the coding work, um, I still find it enjoyable. I, as my health problems, as I mentioned earlier, I can't really work in an office. It, it, it unfortunately, I, I have a lot of problems. Like I can have a lot of problems with stress, ironically, uh, but I don't stress myself out when I'm working for myself. Um, the, just how it is. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I don't regret it at all. I, I love it. I, I really enjoy it. And, yeah, I, I want to try and make some good things uh, for people to play. Okay, that's pretty cool. And how do you find the indie life? And do you regret it? I mean, I've kind of, you know, can guess on the answer just based on what you've just said, but I'll ask it anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, no, um, so the indie life is it's difficult. Uh, I'll be mm-hmm. honest. It, it's difficult because and at the moment I'm I'm a solo dev, you know. I mean, like I say, Minecraft helps with ideas and I've had help with music from Armin and that. But, um, you know, I have a lot of work to do and I'm trying to get on top of my physical health as well. So I've been going to the gym a lot and trying to lose weight and that kind of thing. Um, so I've got a lot of things uh, that's going on at the same time, but I, with how difficult it is because of mostly because of lack of money at the moment, more than anything else, but I'm hoping to try and fix that. But it's still for me easier than working for somebody else in an office. Um, when I when I worked in offices a, a few years ago, I was having to use a walking stick to walk around, um, and found out that it was stress that was making me lose the ability to use my legs. <laughs> of all things, and it was just working for other people was putting me under so much stress that I was using a walking stick because I couldn't walk without one. Nowadays, I'm going to the gym and I'm running on a treadmill for twenty minutes. It's, you know, so for me, don't get me wrong, indie life is difficult and, you know, there are ups and downs with it, but I really enjoy it. And for me, it's easier than, like, than the normality, basically. (laughs) Fair enough. And what do you hate or dislike about being a developer? Um... Um, not being social enough to uh, to know what to do for marketing. No, um, no, I, I don't know. I don't really, don't really dislike anything about being a developer. To be honest, okay, I I couldn't really think of anything. Okay, if you could work on any product, past, present, or future, what would it be, and uh, and why? So, do you know of an old Mega Drive game called Comic Zone? It doesn't ring about Comic Zone or Comet Zone? Uh, Comics. C-O-M-I-X. No, I'm having a quick Google now. But yeah, if you, if you want to continue. Yeah, that's right. So, Comic Zone was a game on the Mega Drive. The music was done by Howard Drossin. And it has some of the best music and such... It is my absolute favourite game of all time. My absolute favourite. I've not found a game that beats it for me. And it's such a unique way of doing uh, level progression and everything else as well because with the game, you are Sketch Turner. You've been thrown into your comic um, 
and you have to travel across the panels and you're facing all these different uh, creatures that are being drawn in by the villain of your comic. And it was such, such a brilliant game. I would love to have worked on it. I, I'd, I would absolutely love to have worked on that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a pretty cool concept. I've just had a quick Google look to the image. It does look pretty darn cool. And especially for the Mega Drive, you know, because obviously it, for that era, those sort of graphics was, you know, the yeah. thing that was in at the time. But I think something like that maybe exists, something else like that. now. But I think something like that now could be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, possibly. Yeah, it, it could. I mean, could you imagine if Marvel did something like that using their comic? Oh game? yeah, I mean that would be insane, and especially if he was a bit more dynamic. Depending, let's say, if you could choose, you know, create your own character, you could, yep. you know, choose a few story elements. So the enemies that were either spawned or created were a bit more relevant, or maybe even location based. So if you're in the UK or in the US, the type of enemies spawned might be relevant to the scenery and the weather around here i mean that would be pretty darn cool yeah it would it'd be amazing like like saying there is one bit of good news i have about that uh that particular game though okay uh sega did announce that they were making a movie of it now oh is that just a recent announcement like, yeah. Oh. yeah it was about a month or so ago um sega did an announcement saying that they were doing uh, um they were doing two more retro games were being turned into films and that was one of them Comic Zone, and I am very much looking forward to that. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit of googling that I've done about the game. It looks like an interesting, unique concept. So I'll just be interested—not from a fan perspective, but just from a technical perspective—how they do that. Because it's not just like another, you know, action game. It's an action game with like a, you know, the comic twist. So yeah, and I'm yeah. guessing you would obviously want to see that, you know, like the comic book style pages and some sort of drawing element. Yeah, uh, you know, going on. Have they given some release date, or is it just basically an announcement at the moment? Uh, as far as I know, it's just an announcement at the moment, and I can't even remember what the other game uh, was. To be honest with you, okay. Um, it, it'd be worth uh, looking at. Um, uh, because it, like I say, it was because of the. I think it was due to the success of the first and second Sonic the Hedgehog movies. Yeah. Um, because obviously they were very successful, uh, and they, they were very they good were. Films. I yeah, know. I mean. I agree. I think for what they were, they were good. I mean, for number one more than number two, but I feel for they were good movies because, especially considering, you know, the you know historically when we've had games turn from games into I mean, move you know games turn into movies or you know vice versa, movies turn into games. They have not been the best, and these were you know pretty good. So I think they did a good job overall. Yeah, I'll I'll say um, uh, and this might be an unpopular opinion, and so I apologize now to anyone that disagrees. Um, but for me, I I loved the first and second Sonic the Hedgehog movies. The only thing I didn't like was I did not like Jim Carrey's Robotnik. <laughs> I mean, I liked it from the perspective of the acting. I just because he's, he's Robotnik's uh, you know a big fat character, yeah. and he's obviously not that. Like, yeah. if they had CGI'd his face onto, like, a bigger, rounder character that would look more like Robotnik, which they have the tech to do, that that wouldn't have been an issue. That would have been fine, because obviously his mannerisms, you know, I like, and I enjoyed that. But, but I agree, he didn't look like the Robotnik from the games. That, that's the thing. For me, it wasn't even the looks that bothered me. It was more that... Um... As soon as I heard that Jim Carrey was going to be Robotnik, mm. I, I turned around to my other half and I said, 
I hope he actually acts Robotnik rather than acting Jim Carrey acting. No, Robotnik. he was definitely acting Ace Ventura. Exactly. Mask, basically. It, it was very, like, like you say, it was very much Ace Ventura dressed up like Robotnik. Yeah. And that's what bothered me with it. I mean, doing the snot rocket with a robot, don't get me wrong, it was funny. But it wasn't Robotnik. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, that, that that was my thing with it. But like I said, I still love the films anyway. I'm still getting them on Blu-ray when the third one comes out. Um, yeah. I don't know if any more are coming out after that. But uh, I, I'm still going to be getting it. I still loved them. I still saw them both in cinema. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's my, li- my little gripe with it is, is Jim Carrey's Robotnik was, well, Jim Carrey, <laughs> not Robotnik. But yeah. it's one of those things. I, I, normally, I, I normally love his stuff as an actor. I mean, for me, his best film is The Mask, but I didn't want to see The Mask in Sonic. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Uh, it's just one of those things, though. But uh, it, it's just, yeah, like I say, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are. I think they are making a Tales solo movie as well. I think are they really? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I want to say they did make that announcement not long after the you know Sonic Two came out, so. So they're doing Sonic Three. I think they do. I think they're doing a Tails as well. Oh. Uh, I think they might spin it off with some other ones and try and create some some sort of cinematic universe. You know, for Sonic because the first two, like you said, have done well. So why yeah. not? Yeah, I, I am a bit worried about the third one. I, w- I will admit, um, because the third one they're introducing, obviously, if you've seen past the credits in the second movie, you know the character that they're introducing. Uh, I don't want to say too much and give spoilers to people listening to this uh, cast, but um, they've ruined that character before <laughs> when they did the standalone game with them. And it is, yeah, yeah, you, you know where I'm going with that one. Don't yeah, you? yeah, I know. Uh, I, I remember. Yeah, I mean, why did they do that? I mean, yeah, you never yeah, know. They might do a decent job. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping that they do. I, I am hoping that they do. Um. Like I say, I'm still going to watch it in cinema yet again. So, <laughs> okay. And what careers did you think about as an alternative growing up? Um, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, so when I was growing up, I was um typical nineties kid. Um, <laughs> I was into wrestling and that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, but unfortunately, um. The aneurysm kind of put a stop to that. I wasn't allowed to do uh, martial arts or anything like that. So even though I wanted to, um, I just wasn't allowed. Not allowed. To, wasn't allowed contact on the head. Um, so aside from that, it it just became the games programming, and that was it. There wasn't really another choice after that. Okay, and because obviously you've heavily talked about games programming. Have you ever done non-games programming and? What's your opinion around that stuff? Uh, yes, yeah, so I I did uh, I've done a few different projects. I I used to do augmented reality programming, virtual reality programming as well. When I worked at HSSMI, um, that was as a software engineer where I was doing augmented reality, virtual reality, and that kind of a thing. Um, I quite like um, I quite like robotics uh, programming, like they're uh, doing Raspberry Pis, Arduinos, and you know, make, making thing mo- uh, things move like animatronics. I find that quite fun. Um, I did a project a while ago where I, um, in fact, I've got videos of it on my website, uh, which is mipixel.co.uk. 
um, in my portfolio where I, I created an application on an iPad that sent different signals to devices using a uh, router in a local area network all in the back of a car. And it made, uh, so the iPad interacted with a TV to switch a TV on, turn it over to Xbox or Apple TV. And then it interacted with the chairs to make the uh, chairs recline back or go forward, put on vibrate in the heat mode on the chairs, uh, did all the light signals and sent that uh, across. So you could just change all the uh, colors of the lights in the back of this very fancy car um, <laughs> and all that kind of thing. That, that was quite fun doing that, to be honest. Um like I say, I've done some very small amounts of robotics. I was trying to make a robotic arm that moved using flex sensors and that kind of thing, sending signals across to move the motors, to move the fingers around. And I was originally doing it because I used to go to the London MCM Expo and I used to dress up all the time as anime characters and that kind of thing. And so I was trying to make this arm so that I could dress up as Ash Williams from Evil Dead and just have one arm hidden behind the chainsaw and then the other arm uh, like would be a prosthetic fake arm covered in blood on my chest and I was going to like have it move and uh, run around basically using the other arm that was hidden. Uh, so it was a little fake attacking Deadeye arm kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it, that kind of thing's fun, but um, I do prefer the games programming. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And... Do you have a dream company to work at? Why and what would you like to do there? Um, uh, so I, I would much prefer to just get my own stuff working, to be honest with you, and, and bringing things in properly. Because like I mentioned earlier, I'm better off working for myself because um, I can deal with my health, whereas other people generally don't. Um but I suppose if, if there was any company for me to work for, probably Sega. And uh, just because of the fact that I, I I was a Sega kid, I still am a Sega. Well, I'm a Sega adult now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I've always been a, a Sega guy. Uh, I've Like I said, I've still got the Mega Drive and Master System set up. Um, I still love all the games. And, and yeah, so because of the amount of joy that they brought me throughout my childhood with all the games and that that i had um was, like i say having the sega channel had access to 50 different games a month where i had all that access as a child and i grew up with all those if i had if i could work for any company it would be sega <laughs> okay nice answer and um, what do you think of remote working versus in the office uh, I much prefer the idea of remote working to in the office because when when it comes to working in the office, nine times out of ten, it's stuff that you can do at home anyway. Um, mm. And uh, I think companies could save a lot of money on their offices because office space is not cheap. Um, nope. So they could save a lot of money on uh, on their offices. If, if they bought a PC for all of their workers instead, uh, I mean, you know, if, if they... If they uh, just just did that I and mean, they're buying a pc for them all in the office anyway oh, so yeah. if, if they just uh, uh did that then all of their employees would have that uh that computer to do all the work and not only that they'd be saving on uh obviously the uh travel time because obviously some people are traveling an hour or two hours into work every day and then back again that's four hours in travel if it, uh, actually let, let's go with the one hour one there's two hours in travel going there and back if there's no traffic, but of course, nine times out of ten, people are doing a nine to five, in which case there's traffic and it turns that hour drive into an hour and a half and then back again. So it puts out to like three hours worth of your day 
gone into travel times that by five if you're doing five days a week you know you end up losing so much time to travel and then and it's just to arrive at an office and do something that you could have done back at home and just sent there electronically a lot quicker with a lot less issues <laughs> so that, that, that's my thing with it oh yeah for sure i remember i was just listening to a podcast probably a couple of weeks ago Joe Rogan podcast with Mark Andreessen, and he was saying that after COVID, he what they did with their company is they still have physical offices, but they don't, you know, require people going in as much and and having many offices. So what they do is they spend the savings that they've got from not having you know people in the office because you know obviously you got off like you said office space is expensive. You got to pay for bills, then there's the upkeep, you know, all that stuff. The money that they save. They basically, you know, every so often, I don't know how frequent, but every so often, they hire out like a nice, you know, hotel or a nice resort or villa or something where they'll have like a few days or a week and they'll invite the employees there and they'll have some meetings, you know, some work going on. But then the rest of the time is basically them to do a holiday and they pay for them plus sometimes i think like spouses or you know like close family members as well so basically the family members get a free holiday they get the social interaction every so often and without having to always go in the office and i thought that was a nice way of doing it as well instead of saying you know we'll either always in the office or you know fully remote and we're going to have no offices like okay we understand that that interaction can be good let's just you know limit it and let's actually spend the same the money that we've saved into a really nice way so i thought that was a you know a nice alternative to you know one or the other approach oh yeah it it is the the thing is different people do it in different ways like my my mother she works in an office and she goes Mm -hmm. into the office five days a week and i believe she had the option of working from home but for her and maybe it's just because of her being a bit older and all that she was saying that when she was doing the work from home during Mm -hmm. covid um that she wasn't as you know uh as up and raring to do it as when she's at the office so she was a bit more productive in the office doing it but then for me if you set aside a little space um to have as a workspace i find you get that same kind of energy or at least for me i get that same kind of energy just being at home but um sure it's it's one of those things i mean i i come from uh bad health and all that where going into an office ends up being difficult and so i'm always going to be more remote than some other people anyway (laughs) but at the same time just looking at it from a logic point of view the amount of money you could save by not doing the office space and like say i mean doing a a little party or a get together or even if somebody just went into the office once a month or or if everybody went into the office once a month even if they did that that still gives them the other month where they're not losing all that time and um, at the end of the day, a happy worker is a more productive worker. I I, yeah. I I talk to people all the time that work in different kind of areas, whether it's in offices, retail, what have you. And nine times out of ten, they talk about how they they don't feel respected or um, looked after in their office space, and you know they're only paid certain amounts, so they so uh, they don't. None of them tell me that they're putting in all the effort at work. They all say, I'm paid this much, so I'm putting in that much worth of effort. You know, I, I'm treated like this, so I'm putting in the effort of uh, like to reflect that uh, being treated like that. 
if people are doing it remotely or tr treated better in general or uh, or you know with doing it remotely the money that was saved maybe went into their wages or a bonus or even a night out uh, as you say they'd feel better about it and they'd work more they'd work harder generally. yeah for sure I, I think there's definitely you know various alternatives to you know the, the conventional way of working that has been the you know the you know the standard for hundreds and thousands like since the dawn of work <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, that's what it's been obviously technology is more of a recent phenomenon but before technology you know people still went to work they had the nine to five whatever the time was but you just you, you know you went you, you you went there and even though let's say when telephones you know came in and you know you had you know over the phone salesmen even that you know, people still went to on an office to do that. No one, or not on mass, people were not doing it remote. Even though not long after the probably the telephone launching, the tech getting better, cheaper, and more accessible, they could have done it at home or you know a hybrid approach. So yeah, I think that's definitely you know you know different alternatives. And how did you find COVID, especially considering you know it forced a lot of people to work remotely but be isolated and you know all of the restrictions um so luckily for me where i've got my uh, health issues i wasn't as restricted because i had my my one person i was caring for is my other half um she was uh like designated my carer so where i at the time i lived on my own uh, i was allowed to join her household and okay. so I to come over and and i was allowed that um, but aside from that, I, I do a lot of my shopping online anyway. Um, I wasn't going to the gym at the time, so you know I didn't have to worry about not doing uh, doing that either. So, I mean, when COVID happened, it, for me, I I saw a lot of people panicking and a lot of people being mm -hmm. idiots as well. To be honest, oh yeah, which is same as every other day. It's it's like um, there was someone. Um, I'm not going to name names uh, or anything, but there was someone that was complaining, stating that they thought the police officers, uh, because a police officer had had a go at them during the COVID lockdown thing. They had a go at them, and they were saying there was a police officer was throwing their weight about. Now the thing is, this person that was being had a go at, literally drove from Basildon to South End to buy donuts. <laughs> That's a half an hour drive. And they did it during lockdown to buy donuts and then come back to Basildon where they lived. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you know, people don't want to tell the full story. They just want to say, oh, you know, the policeman was being aggressive. You know, they did this. So they, again, I don't know the story. So I'm not, you know, siding one way or another. But I know, I know what people but, are like. No, and that's the thing. They did that. And they were saying that because this police officer told them that they shouldn't have done it. That's all the police officer did. was said, you, know, you shouldn't have done that. Go home because we are under lockdown. And they were saying, you know, about how this police officer was throwing their weight about and being, like, drunk with power. I said, like, no, he's told you to go home because you travelled half an hour out your way for blooming donuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, come on. I mean, there better have been some good donuts. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine so. I can't no, imagine I that. that good. As well. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any family members or close family friends that are developers and if so how did that influence your decision to become one yourself <laughs> none of my family members are coders in any way <laughs> okay uh and as for 
I've got friends that I met at university that um, do coding, but uh, well, they don't even do it as a job. Um, so no, I don't really have any. <laughs> well, well, that's fair enough. Uh, would you ever switch careers? No. 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 Okay, and like, just following on to that one, how much money would you need to make to switch careers, if at all? Uh, I I wouldn't want to, to be honest. You, you, fair enough. Uh, do you code? Okay, so this is more of a, I mean, question still for now, but especially when you was, you know, working for a regular company. Do you code outside of work, and how do you find that? Do you enjoy it as much when you didn't, you know, have a job or have, more business stuff that you was coding on um so i i i've coded well pretty constantly um to be honest even when i was working at hsmi i was going home and doing different kinds of code like uh doing games and that coding at home whilst uh going into the office and doing software coding over there so i yeah i i code in and out of work and yeah um i enjoy i i enjoy doing my own programs more because um well it's the things that i've designed or had help designing um with, from close friends but mostly my other half let's be honest uh, <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm not sure what else to say on that one to be honest um okay and so you went to university you studied was it computer games development so yep. it's, you know similar to myself i did computer games programming just a different title for effectively the same course. How yeah. did you find the course? And I, I, actually, I'll reserve the next question separately. How, how did you find the course? Uh, I found it fun, to be honest. Uh, so I had uh, some pretty good teachers. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah, I had some pretty good teachers that um, you know taught quite well. When I went into university, it was 2012, so it was just when the prices of university just went up. So... It was a bit weird. There was a lot of there was a lot of people that went in. I, I can't remember how many, but I think there was only about four of us, five of us that graduated uh, from the development side at the end of it. Um, because a lot of people just kept dropping out. I, I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know why. It was a simple enough course to do, but then uh, people just kept dropping out. But yeah, no, I I found it nice and fun. Uh, met some good people. Uh, one of my one of my best friends I met uh, over there. To be honest. Um, and yeah, the the tutors were uh, were quite nice. Seemed knowledgeable enough on what they were doing. Um, yeah, so it was good fun. Okay, that's cool. Well, I remember when I was at university. I think the there was a student there with me in first year. He because he was a computer games programming course, so the majority of it was coding, not that much design. And he wasn't. He he, he was more of a designer. So he I, I don't know why he went came on the course. Because he even said, you know, I didn't. He said, I don't. I didn't think he would have that much coding. I thought he would have more design. I thought it has programming in the title. Yeah. Uh, there were separate game design courses, so it's not like oh, he didn't have a choice if he had to, if he wanted to go to this university. They had yeah. other game design courses, but he didn't choose to do that one. When he dropped, so he dropped out after a year. And he either tried to, you know, apply then, or I think he may have got like a temporary job then tried to apply a year later, but that's when all the course fees increased, like tripled. And he was like, this is just too much. So like literally just because he dropped out and tried to do, you know, the same 
or like the correct course like a year yeah. or two later he he didn't just because the course fees went from like three odd thousand which is what i paid per year to what they are now which is about nine ten grand yeah so like i, I mean I it was the nine and a half grand yeah and i mean it's it's, it's a shame because i remember his design was very good and i remember he he came up in conversation with a, a bunch of friends when we had a reunion a little while back and it turned out that he was he he hadn't you know gone back studied or done anything and he was just working odd jobs and you know as like a cleaner or something like that and yeah. i was like it's it's crazy like he was at uni uh i mean he was, he was doing fine he, he just didn't enjoy the coding part of it he wanted to do design like I said, his design was phenomenal especially for a first year student but yeah. it's just one of those things yeah it is unfortunately yeah. At the end of the day, you need to work out what it is you want to do and then work out what it is that you need to do it, I suppose, and then just stick to it, even the bits that you don't like. Oh, yeah, of course. And would you recommend university to people? Oh, tough one. Um, So I would say when it comes to the games development courses, there are courses that are very similar to what I did at university on places like Udemy or Udacity, so online uh, training course things. But at the same time, it's a different experience doing it at university. One, you have the experience of actually going to university, which for a lot of people would be their first uh, experience of living away from home, um, you know, uh, which is obviously uh, quite an experience. And the amount of people I, I never lived on the dorms myself. I I actually moved into uh, London from Corringham um, before going uh, joining university, uh, and uh, then and I just lived out there and I just stayed in the place I was living in when I went to university. Um, so for a lot of people, it's their first experience of living away from home, which is a good experience for them. Uh, but as well as that when it comes to doing the courses, you actually have people you can talk to. Um, so like for instance, when I was doing my um, dissertation in year three, what I decided to do was uh, there was an Ouya games console that was made. That was, I remember, I remember that one, the Kickstarter. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I I actually funded the Kickstarter. Still got that in the loft somewhere. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. My one's in the loft as well. I think. I, yeah. I I didn't fund the Kickstarter, but my brother got me it for Christmas after it came out. I think it was. So when it came to my dissertation in university, I decided to build a game for the Ouya Games console, uh, and that was what I did. And you know, I ran into little issues just because I didn't know uh, enough about coding and that at that point so i ran into a few issues when doing it and i could go to the lecturers and talk to them and find out what i was doing wrong and learn about it and you know that's what i did um and i got the help and, and i got it all working if you're doing an online course or a stay-at-home course you won't have that access you won't uh, you you generally won't have the people that you can just show the project to and and do it but then it's like there was another home learning course for games development, which I was doing before university, which was called Train to Game. And they used to send out these little CDs, that had the courses on them, had books uh, that went with it. And then you had challenges to do. And this was done in C++ coding. Um, uh, rather than using Unity or anything like that, I used C++ coding uh, using Visual Basic. Um, and... You know, when it came to having a problem with the uh, with one of the projects, I, and I 
contacted them and said, like, I need a bit of help with this. And they said, is it coursework? To which my response was, everything in your course is coursework. It is a coursework-based learning program. All you give us is coursework. And they, they, to which they turned around with, well, as it's coursework, we can't help you. <laughs> you know, so a lot of the home learning courses don't have the people that you can just talk to, show the project to, and get that help and learn from it. So, yeah, I, I probably would suggest university, to be honest. Okay. And what myths about programming did you have before getting a job? Um, or before even getting into coding full-time and, you know, the way you're doing it now? Myths I had about coding. Uh, I I don't think I really had any, to be honest. I don't think I really had any myths about coding. I just kind of went into it and just went, yeah, let's do that. And I, I didn't really think about it. I just did it. So, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, fine. Okay. So how do you keep up with the latest trends, advances, and programming languages in your field? Uh, I probably don't, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at keeping uh, keeping track of things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. I I just I just get on with my code. I kind of stay in my own little world. Get on with my code and get things done. So I I don't. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I've got some more fun generic questions now. So. Would you rather run a 10-person company or a 1,000-person company, and why? Ooh, tough one. They both have their merits. Um, probably a 10-person, to be honest. Why um, would that be? And what are the merits that came to mind with both? So one of the merits that came to mind with the 1,000-person uh, company is if you've got 1,000 people in the company and they're all getting paid, clearly the company's making a lot of money. Uh, yeah, or at least you'd hope. <laughs> yeah, if you'd hope. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of unhappy people when it comes to like uh, payday. Um, so, uh, yeah, so with 1,000-person companies, obviously you can have uh, a lot more people doing different things and get a lot more done. However, with a 10-person company, it's a lot more close-knit. It's a lot more... Um, there's not as much to manage because uh, there's only the 10 people to manage rather than 1,000. And you can actually hear a lot more ideas. There's not there's not going to be as much loss to the void. Um, if you have a group of 1,000 people uh, and you ask them all for an opinion, you'll maybe get six or seven opinions. You won't get all 1,000. If you have a group of 10 people and you ask them all for an opinion, you're more likely to get them all. That is very true. Okay, and this is the question I, you know, one of the questions that I love asking people, okay. does money buy you happiness? Uh, I'll let you know when I get some. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, money doesn't buy happiness, but money does pay bills um, at the end of the day. Uh, I, I'm, like I already mentioned my main goal with building these games is to build things that people enjoy playing and have fun playing. You know, that uh, that's what I want to do. I want to bring a little bit of joy into their lives, give them happiness. Um, obviously, you know, I'm not going to lie. I need to make money off of it. Otherwise I'm going to have to 
try and go back into an office or something like that, uh, which with my health is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't work for me, unfortunately. Um, so obviously I need to bring in money um, so that I can look after myself, uh, so I can look after my other half and just, just pay bills, you know. Um, but no, it's, money doesn't buy happiness now. <laughs> okay. Five million pound up front or half a million a year for the rest of your life? Fun. Uh, so obviously half a million a year for the rest of your life is more money generally, um, unless you only have a short lifespan left. Um, but with a five million up front, you can sort things out straight away and actually probably invest it better and turn it into more than half a million uh, a year. So I'd probably go for the five million up front. Okay. And talking about that, talking about investing, what would be the things that you would lean towards when investing? Uh, well, if I had the five million. <laughs> yeah, if you had the five mil. If I had five million, um, so I'd invest into a company, uh, first and foremost, uh, be able to actually do some marketing and that and get things going to uh, even employ more people so that uh, I can have other people doing uh, artwork and music and that kind of a thing. Um and basically turn it into a company that um people enjoy working at and produces games that people enjoy playing and then obviously marketing those games to bring the money back. Aside from that, um I would probably uh well I'd definitely get a house and uh basically get me and my other half um sorted out, like living together in a nice place together, uh and just yeah, get the normal things really. I don't I don't really have this thing of like getting a giant two uh, two hundred foot bouncy castle or anything like that. It's just <laughs> you know, it's just you know, um, get the normal things, get a house, get somewhere to uh, to stay, and um, funding for when I have kids. That kind of okay. thing. Okay. And favorite board game? Oh, favorite board game. Um. I don't know. Uh, we play quite a few, and I, I quite like the uh, sheriff game. I quite like, quite like Monopoly. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got a Sonic the Hedgehog Monopoly now as well, which doesn't play like Monopoly. Um, I quite like the Disney Villainous games and the Marvel Villainous game as well. I, 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 I honestly couldn't say what my favourite one is. But it does seem like Monopoly, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got several versions of Monopoly. We've got like Dragon Ball Z Monopoly, you've got Sonic Monopoly, we've got Jurassic Park Monopoly. <laughs> For the Dragon Ball Z Monopoly, what's on there? Is it like characters or is it planets? Uh, yeah, it's so you've got like um, Goku and all that on there. And I, I think I've, I've got to try and remember now. It's been a while since we played that one. Um, uh, I'm I can't remember what I can't remember. I think you um get different characters like you, so you get like the Goku and Vegeta, and you buy them, or you buy Trunks and Goten, if I remember rightly. But uh, it's been a little while since we played that one, unfortunately. Okay, because I do love Dragon Ball Z, and we've got a huge, you know, you know, Monopoly collection as well. Do not have a Dragon Ball Z one though. I might have a quick Google of that one after. Now, there's there's two Dragon Ball Z ones. There's Dragon Ball Z and there's Dragon Ball Super. And the Dragon Ball Super one is the Tournament of Power Arc. And I yeah, believe... I'd rather get the Z one if I'm being honest. No, that's fair enough. I, I've yeah. already got the Z one. I'll probably get the Super one later. To, yeah. uh, later, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, it does it go all the way up to Majin Buu Saga with the I Z one? Can't remember. In all honesty, I I cannot remember. It's downstairs. I I. I... 
Sorry, I can't remember. <laughs> favorite video game? I mean, you've kind of Comic already Zone. said that. Yeah, Comic Zone, absolute favorite. Yeah, I, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What video game are you looking forward to? Oh, um, so there's actually a new Dragon Ball uh, game coming out um, in a in about a week or so, I think. Uh, it's Dragon Ball The Breakers, I think it's called. Or drag- um, so that looks quite interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, don't know if there's any others that are coming out that I even know of, to be honest. <laughs> so probably just Dragon Ball The Breakers. <laughs> okay, and... So that's basically all the questions that I've got, you know, for today. Cool. One last question before you wrap up. What advice would you give as a developer? Oh, um, don't forget marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Golden yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, so one bit of advice that I would give you, if you're looking into doing indie game development, um, uh, if, if that's what you want to do, when it comes to marketing, a lot of developers myself included either forget about it entirely um or we leave it until the game's already out before we start marketing it and that is not the right thing to do uh take it from me uh, that's what i did with defend from candyland and whilst i'm getting good reviews whilst there are people that have played it on youtube whilst there are people that have messaged me to say about how much they love the game and all that and these are people that i don't know that have been sending me these messages it's not that my friends have been doing it because most of them haven't um <laughs> when it when it comes even with all of that defend from candyland has not done well it, it really hasn't when it comes to marketing you need to do the marketing from the very beginning even in your game design don't just come up with a game go this is a great idea let's go with that you come up with a design and then you research other games of that genre other games of that uh, setting you look into it properly find out what other people say is missing from their games or uh, from the games that they play and do your market research on that and do your marketing ask questions send it out to the crowd say i'm about to make a game that i'm doing this and the other what would you like to see in it i mean that's what notch did with minecraft um now obviously with him he was one of the first to do it on the scale that he did but he made absolute millions off of it uh and you know but it was that asking other people and that research at the very beginning he did what they wanted him to do not what he thought was best and that is what really set him apart from the others when he did that um apologies if i got any of that wrong but as far as i'm aware that's how uh, how it was um but yeah so do your research at the very beginning it's the, it should be the first thing that you do really is research and marketing should be the first things that you do that would be my bit of advice wise words i mean it's one of those things you just want to get right into it you've got this idea well, again, that's the curse of any developer. You know, you the problem is that a lot of people have ideas and you probably heard before, you know, I've got this idea, I've got this. But the thing with developers, they can actually go out and do it. And unlike somebody who might have an idea that requires a huge amount of money just to get off the ground, let's say if they're creating a physical building that requires a lot more resources, you, you know, a lot of people have computers, laptops. So yeah. you can get started for free or you know relatively cheaply and that can blindside people because they you know they don't do the proper planning you know like you're saying they don't 
research. They don't see what you know other people want. And it's it's fine if you make a game for yourself, but it's important to understand it may just be that forever. It may just be a game for yourself. And if, yeah. if that's all you want it to be, you never want to release it or you're not care, you don't care if it gets downloads or you know sales and you just want to play it yourself because it's a game that you've always wanted to play, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But obviously, if you want to create a successful game, you know, there's obviously two parts to that, you know, creating yeah. the game, creating the success. And then the success part of it does not require coding necessarily. It requires Thank very you. little coding. Exactly. It's like there was a, a a case I remember seeing about many, many years ago, not to do with games, but um, it, it shows why the market research is important. Uh, a guy spent thousands upon thousands of pounds putting together a company to sell marshmallows with faces burnt onto them. All right, and that was what his product was. He had come up with this product idea of marshmallows that had different celebrity faces and that on the marshmallows. He put in got the factory sorted out he got them made got the packaging done not a single person bought a single marshmallow <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> so he spent thousands upon thousands of pounds setting all this stuff up but he hadn't actually asked if anybody wanted it yeah i mean that's the problem so many times people <laughs> you know want to make something because they really want it or they feel like it sometimes it's not even what they want if they feel like it's what pe other people want or they see other people doing something and they're like, you know what, they must want, you know, marshmallows and, you know, all yeah. oh, whack a face on, you know, or they must want this app. But not asking, because people might say, you know, I've had this one up, I've had this marshmallow, I don't need any more marshmallows in my life. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with just that one. I needed a marshmallow, but that, you know, craving has now been satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, who wants a marshmallow with somebody's face on it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things. It's you need to, you can make the best game in the world, but if nobody wants to play it, nobody wants to play it. Yep, that is very true. So yeah, that is it. That is today's podcast episode with Michael Ingram. I just want to thank you know Michael for taking the time to come on, talk to myself, and you know let everyone know what he's up to. And obviously, if you let you you know share all the links to you know your game, your website, etc., your social media, I will plug that in to the description so you can check out Michael's work and what he's up to as well. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely chatting to you. Um, anybody uh, that listens to this, feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Discord and all those different things uh, and i have an email address i'll send over all of the links over to yourself um so yeah feel free to chat uh, chat to me um even if you just want to ask me questions about dev work or what have you i'm happy to answer any questions that i can to be honest and yeah I i'm i'm a nice happy guy generally so <laughs> i'm not gonna i can tell I, I think i think we can all tell that you're a pretty cool <laughs> relaxed you know relaxed guy you don't <laughs> seem like the type of guy that gets wound up over stuff easily no i definitely don't so no. yeah i'm happy to answer uh any questions send me an email or a message on facebook or twitter or what have you uh and yeah i'm happy to chat to anyone basically <laughs> sounds good and i'll see everyone else in the next episode of fire dev bye bye enjoy everyone <laughs>